So we're back in Philippians chapter 3. After that bit of a reprieve, and again, thank you so much, Grant, for skillfully sharing the word last week. What a blessing that was, talking about um, this tolerance concept. Very practical to where we live right now. Uh, So thank you so much for sharing the word. But we're back here in Philippians chapter 3. You can turn your hand out over and kind of see where we've been so far. Uh, Towards the bottom of the back side of the page, you can see we have worked through all the way to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, we find this amazing exhortation. This One of these primary imperatives in all of the book of Philippians. And here's the imperative. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Be glad from the inside out because Christ has changed your heart. Now put a smile on your face. Rejoice. Be glad. Uh, we, we have talked about the fact that this joy that only comes from Christ This joy is built on the inside and comes out. This joy is not based on outer circumstances, but on an inner transformation of the heart. Because God has changed our hearts through the Holy Spirit, through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we can now rejoice. And so Paul says, rejoice. Now as we go through chapter 3, we find, I believe, we find different designations of how this joy works best. Rejoice in the Lord as we work through the the different sections we've already talked about. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice with the surpassing worth of Christ. We have Christ. You cannot compare anything to this eternal joy and this eternal prize, Jesus Christ. So rejoice with the surpassing worth of Christ. Rejoice, Paul continues on in verses 8 through 11, knowing Christ, especially through suffering. When suffering comes, don't look at God as being this evil God. How dare you? Look at God as being the God that is so good to you to walk with you through this trial, through this suffering. God is not good when he ex- just because he extracts you through from a trial. He is good because he walks with us through an ordained trial. This is the God we serve. So rejoice, knowing Christ through your suffering. Continued on a couple weeks ago. Rejoice as you press on in the race. Take another step. Rejoice. Put a smile on your face and take another step. As you look at that in line, realizing that we're not just headed to a post, not just headed to a ribbon at the end of the race. We're headed to a person, Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says in the last text that we looked at. So today now, though, we are in verses 17, and it's actually going to carry us all the way to the first verse of chapter 4. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time in the first verse of chapter 4. It's more of a transition verse that will prepare us for next week. But I want us to read these verses with this in mind. Rejoice following the right examples. So in a very practical way, let's read these verses. Verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me, Paul says. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. 
with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior. This Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. Who will transform our lowly body and to be like his glorious body. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So what is this text all about? Well, it's not very uncommon to even what we go through today. Setting templates in our lives. Examples. Um, just thinking this last couple of weeks of how many ways we do this just in, in very practical ways. I mean, I don't know how many of you here. I saw a couple. Lonnie's got a really sharp haircut right now. Where Lonnie went in the back. Others, you can tell if you've been away for a while, haircuts or hairstyles a bit different. What do you do when you go get a new hairstyle? Rather than trying to talk through this, this is more for ladies, I'm sorry. Rather than trying to talk through it, what do you do? You find the magazine or the picture and you go tell the hairstylist, that's what I want. That's a template. That's not uncommon to how life happens for us. You find a template and you try to follow it. How many other ways? I mean, it's all over the place. Um, I think of, of school. Uh, working through different projects I had in seminary. I'll tell you, these teachers were ruthless in how you had to stick to the template. So what would you do? Before you even wrote a paper or wrote a project, you went and made sure your template was just right. Set that template because my paper now needs to look like this template. You can have one of the most impressive second grade artists in the world. Why? Because they take a beautiful picture and then stick a nice thin paper right over it, and they trace it. You ever seen that? You know, one of my kids will bring it to me. I do have some very, Sela especially is very creative in drawing. But she used to bring these pictures, or some of the kids would bring them to me, and you're like, wow, you did that? Yeah. Well, you find out that they're tracing it. I used to do the same thing. Why? They're following the example. There's a template that's been set that they're following. I mean, it's all over the place. Think about clothes. We just Google these clothes. What's the trend? <laughs> Setting the trends. I mean, you look at the magazines or you go to the mall and what do they have all over the place? They have templates known as mannequins. This is what you need to look like. We're following templates. Uh, for me and my family, well, actually, um, we're praying about it, thinking about it. So we like house projects, so we're thinking about doing some flooring and different things in our house and just taking a little bit at a time. But how many of you right now are currently in a house remodel of some sort with that mean look on your face like, oh boy, why did you have to bring that up in church? Aren't we supposed to take all of those things and disengage as we come and worship Jesus? Because that doesn't help me worship Jesus. Thinking about house remodels. But at any rate, what do you do when you want to make a house remodel? Probably what you do is you might go to a showroom and you just see the different things and you get ideas. Or you might just Google it. Like, I need a new kitchen put together or a bathroom. Oh, I like that idea. And you take pictures and you're like, there's ten different ideas. And you talk to your spouse and none of them work. Or maybe you just do a binge watch of Chip and Joanne Gaines for like 30 hours Whatever the case may be, you set a template and you finally set it right and you're like, that's it. 
We're going to make our house look like that. It's not uncommon. Uh, in sports, my son and I, we often talk about how to play soccer. We love it, and, and daughters. But David and I will reference. He, he knows these players. He can just spout out these players. I'm like, all right, David, in the game. When you carry the ball forward in soccer, you carry it forward with the pace and control of his favorite player, Lionel Messi. That. Carry it like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you get in front of the goal, you finish the ball like another fellow who he's not as super on. Ronaldo. You finish it like him. Or if you are in defense, you keep your shape, you keep your structure, you watch the play like Van Dyke. All of these names, he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what we do when we coach. When we talk about sports, we're constantly bringing this up as an example. Find the examples. Well, I want us to look at this passage this way. Paul's saying, as you walk daily, and actually from the context, as you're in this race, look around and notice other people that are the right examples. Follow these right examples. Paul says this in verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me. Set this as the template. So this morning is not going to be a complicated sermon. I want us to look at this template. Paul says, follow these examples. So what is this example that Paul's talking about? Well, let's start in verse 17. First of all, this exhortation, Paul says, keenly follow right examples or godly examples. Okay, where does he say that? Verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So what is he doing right now? He's saying there's a distinction. Those you should watch in your Christian life and those you shouldn't follow after in your Christian life. So let's start with looking at the ones we should watch. I put on there keenly. What does that word mean? It means sharply or intensely. It means with with clarity. Keenly watch or follow godly examples. What is that concept of godly? These are those who prioritize God in their lives. Who do we watch? Who do we set up as templates in our lives? Those who love God and have a passion to serve him. Very simply in this passage. Brothers, join in imitating me. We'll just walk through this verse. Brothers, join in imitating me. To imitate means to set up as a model, to put a template, to do a prototype or a stencil or a pattern or an example. Paul's basic point is this. In unity, join with others in following the template that I am setting. So practically, though, when I I read this and I'm like, hold on, Paul. You just talked about humility. (laughs) That's not very humble. Hey, follow me. Doesn't that just shout out pride? Well, that's where we need to go to the rest of the text. A couple things happen here. When you look at the text, you realize that this this is coming out of endearment and actually humility. He says brothers. This is a very humble term, a term of endearment. Brothers. He's not saying, I'm way up here, this hierarchy, you follow me. He's saying, I'm with you. We're on this together. Brothers, follow me. Then, what else does he say? I mean, we're going to continue on in the text. Just hold on because he's clearly not just saying, follow me because of who I am. 
He's saying, follow me because I am following Jesus. That is the point as we work through the text. And then one other very practical way we realize that this is not pride flowing out of Paul. Historically, think about it. As this is being written, what does this church in Philippi have? They do not have the finished scriptures as you have on your lap right now. Primarily, what are we talking about? The compilation of the Gospels, and who's found in the Gospels? Jesus Christ. They've heard about this Jesus. They've talked of this Jesus. These Gospels are forming, and they're receiving the Word of God as the Holy Spirit has given it to these men to write, as Paul and Timothy, or Paul and Peter both tell us, but they don't have it sitting in front of them right now. So, in a very practical sense, Paul is saying, Watch those people who love Jesus and follow them. Be careful not to be derailed by following people that don't know Jesus. Those false prophets that will lead you astray from the person and work of Jesus Christ. So in no way is this a a show of arrogance from Paul. We need to settle that right away. You know, actually, a verse I think that clarifies this even more, and Paul says this several times through his epistles, is 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, if you wanted to write that one down. Because in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul clarifies it, says it straight as it is. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Don't just follow me because I'm cool. Follow me because I'm following Jesus Christ. So Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk. Keep your eyes on means to pay close attention to, fix your attention to, to keenly watch. Um, One of our daughters uh, plays under six soccer over in Palo Cedro. If you want a joy, go to any one of these games where they just follow the ball. You know what I'm talking about, the bunch ball thing. And you'll find some of the soccer players that are just like out there to hang out. We call them like the kind of butterfly catcher type mentality, you know, dandelion pickers. And you're like, watch that thing. Go put that ball over there. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, good. And they take two steps, and then they're off on some other adventure on the field. And you watch as maybe one or two or three of the kids engage in the game, and the rest of them you're constantly saying, watch the ball, watch the ball. I almost feel like Paul is saying, hey, 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 church Philippi, Watch people who are serving Jesus. Follow them. There's other people around us that get enamored with status. Enamored with the ways of this world. And Paul's saying, guide your eyes as as a horse would walk with guides straight to the path in front of them. You fix your eyes on those who are going to lead you to Jesus. Keenly watch. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Uh, simply those who are walking the talk, those who are living out the gospel. When I think of this, there's four characters in this little storyline here. Think about it. There's Paul. There's Paul's support team, who we know would be like Luke and Silas and even Timothy and Epaphroditus. A third set of the group of people would be those believers who are following Paul and his support group. And then the fourth group of people is the church of Philippi. What has he just set up? He set up the team. (laughs) We're in a race. We just saw that contextually. 
Work for the prize. Run towards the prize. And we, as at the end of last sermon, we talked about the fact that what's unique about our Christian race is we're not running alone. We're running in a team. And what has Paul just done? He set up the team framework. Look around you. There's other people who are also in the race. Follow those people who are going to take you to the prize. Don't follow those people that are going to lead you to destruction. Very clearly. So Paul, in this passage, says, we're a team. Follow those who are going to lead you to Jesus. Keenly follow godly examples, simply enough. But then he doesn't stop there. This passage is awesome. Because he also brings into the picture the fact that there are some that will not lead you to the prize. There are some that will derail your race, distract you. How does Paul say this? Verse 18, up here on the screen. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly and their glory, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. I mean, let's just walk through this. What does Paul say? For many of whom I often told you. So what is he saying? This is not the first time you've heard this from my mouth. Just like we talked a couple weeks ago. When warnings are given, it's not uncommon, especially for a parent, to warn kids over and over and over and over again. You know, don't put a key in that outlet. I'm not just going to say it once to my kids and say, oh, they got it for the rest of their life. If they're walking around with a key kind of poking against the wall, I'm going to just be like, No! Keep that away from there. Two-year-old's not going to figure it out. And along the way, you give warnings after warnings after warnings. And Paul's saying, I've already told you this, but it's okay. I'm going to keep warning you. Be careful who you set your eyes on. But it goes deeper than that. He says, of whom I have often told you and now even tell you with tears. Wow. This shows how practical and personal the Apostle Paul was. He's saying, I am sharing this with with distress in my heart for you guys. I care so much for you that you don't set up examples in your life that are going to lead you away from Christ. Then he starts to talk about them. Many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. The word walk, we know as we've already seen this, means to conduct your life through regular patterns, regular habits, choices you make. One step in front of another. This is a regular thing you do. And Paul says, watch out for those who walk. And then he says something that just kind of hits you in the face. Right between the eyes. They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Wow. And honestly, as you work through this text, who he's talking about is actually people who claim to worship God and claim even to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are not some people out there that deny Christ. These are people that claim to know Christ. The Judaizers, previously in chapter 3, these are people who claim that this Jesus is okay. But then, this is a group of people who through the way they live their life, disarm the cross of Christ in their life. Their story doesn't match their claim. Their life doesn't match their claim that the gospel has changed their life. That is this people. 
They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They live in hostility and hatred to the gospel. These are individuals who actually consider themselves worshipers. Simply, they rejected the fact that the gospel was to transform their lives. They would accept Jesus in their head, but not accept Jesus to transform their life. By the way, is this uncommon to what we see today? 2,000 years later. People who will embrace Jesus as a cool guy who came to save But they'll embrace him in head only, maybe in word. But as James says, there are some who are false professors, while others are true possessors of Jesus. And Paul says, follow the true possessors of Jesus. I think in my life this week, actually, I was was thinking about this. Their end is destruction. Wow. Wow. This is in contrast to what was just said in verse 11, the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Verse 14, obtaining the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This people doesn't, they don't have that hope because they're not living for this Jesus. This group essentially lives life without truly contemplating eternity In Proverbs, this is a group of simple people that lack what's known as understanding. They don't see future consequences to present actions. Practically, we see this all over the place today. People who in word will claim Jesus, but their lives in no way match this Jesus. I was was saddened this week thinking of different ones that that don't think about the future. They don't realize there's an accountability to come. Um, just a year ago, does anybody recognize this person? All right. Her name is Kylie Ray Harris. Country singer. 30 years old. Maybe I, I, I didn't listen to her songs, but I was saddened by her story. Kylie was a beautiful young country singer with a beautiful voice but with a very ungrounded life that ignored consequences of bad choices. In fact, one of her mottos was on her shirt here. Bad choices make good stories. I mean, that's kind of a cool motto, maybe. Harris died on September 4th, 2019, when her car collided with another near Taos, New Mexico. She was 30 years old. Confirmed by her vehicle's computer, she had been driving over 100 miles per hour. Harris had previously had drunk driving convictions in 2017, had a blood alcohol level three times the legal limit when she was traveling at 100 miles an hour. Harris clipped the rear end of a vehicle in the right lane, swerved into oncoming traffic, hit another car head on. The driver of the other car was killed, and she was 16-year-old high school student Maria Elena Cruz. Why do I I mention this? There's this motto in life that says, hey, whatever choices I make, it's okay. They kind of make cool stories and cool songs. I'm going to tell you, that's not biblical. The Bible says that we will give account of the choices we make in this life. The Bible is very clear that we will stand before a holy God. When I look at this chapter, when I look at this book, very clearly the motto is not bad choices make good stories. 
the persuasion of this chapter is watch out that you don't make bad choices. He says this about this group of people. Their God is their belly. <laughs> Anytime you start talking about food on a Sunday morning, lunch is coming. It's funny. I was sitting in sermons and, uh, uh, through seminary and whatnot, and my stomach, right about the same time every Sunday morning, would just start growling super loud. It had to be heard because I needed to fill it with food. Well, the fact of the matter, this is a metaphor for someone who makes decisions based on feelings and emotions, not on reality. Not on spiritual principles and truths. Truths found in the word. He says there, God is their belly. Be careful. Don't set as a template in your life someone that makes their choices based on desires of pleasures of the flesh and gratification of those desires. Be careful not to set up as a template in your life, those who base their decision, decisions on unstable feelings and emotions of their flesh. Uh, by the way, this, again, this is not just something that happens to uh, people that unashamedly claim uh, to be unregenerate. This happens within theological circles. People who claim to know Christ but based all of their life on their next best emotion or their next best feeling. Paul says, be careful. Avoid setting a template where this template makes choices in the race based on their emotions and their feelings. He continues on. Their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame. And they find their fame in what actually will bring them destruction before a holy God. They glory They glory in what they should think of as being shameful. Namely, immoral or fleshly gratification. Sexual activity outside of God's holy and perfect plan. And this group of people set up as a template as ones that glory in what should actually be their shame. He gives another description here of someone to avoid as you set up a template. He says this, avoid this. Avoid those whose minds are set on earthly things. What's this mean? Their minds are stuck. They're fixed on the things of this world. Their affections have a special bent towards the world's man-centered perspectives. I was riding on a chairlift the other day with my daughter, Eva. And there was this young lady behind me who was into politics and all that, and debating and talking with this guy next to her very loudly. And it was clear to me on all the issues. I was sitting in the chair in front of her, but I could hear what she was saying. It was clear to me that her mind was bent and stuck, not on God and a biblical worldview at all. It was completely the opposite. And every one of the issues she brought up, I almost was like, oh dear, no, no, no. Don't go there. And you could almost predict the next statement she would make. Well, Paul says, in our lives, don't set templates and examples of those who avoid a biblical worldview of setting, putting their roots deep in the scriptures. Be careful for those who set their mind simply on earthly things. What passage did that bring to your mind? I love what Paul says in another book that he just writes in the same prison epistle time period in Colossians. What does he say in Colossians chapter 3? You know these verses probably. If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, 
where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Now here's the phrase. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, will appear, then you will also appear with him in glory. Because of this, be putting to death that which is fleshly in you. What does Paul very clearly say? Don't set your minds on things on this earth. Set your mind on Jesus. Set your mind on the scriptures. The crazy caveat again is this. This entire verse is most likely referencing those who claim to worship God. Who claim even to respect the gospel. But will not conform their lives to the gospel. We started this entire study in Philippians in chapter 1. On a gospel-centered life. What does a gospel-centered life look like? It looks like a daily transformation because of God's grace. And this type of a person who we should not set as a template in our life is one who ignores a gospel-transformed life. Acknowledges Jesus simply in mind, but not in action. And Paul says very clearly, avoid these worldly examples. So the basic point, we must cautiously avoid setting examples of people whose life is contradictory to God's clear plan of gospel transformation. How does this apply to me? How does this apply to you? In a very practical way. My thought this week is, oh dear God, guard me. Guard my brothers and sisters in Christ. We live in a world that wants us to attach Attach value to people and things that have no place in the life of a Christian. Paul even says this, don't name them once. The Gentiles don't even name these things. God, guard me. Protect me from setting up templates in my life for my kids. Brothers, sisters, dads, moms. Teens, oh my goodness, teens. Children, young adults, let us choose carefully the templates that we place in our lives. Refuse to allow those who pursue fleshly pleasures become our idols. Refuse to allow the the flesh-driven culture from Satan's influence become so intriguing to us that we follow hard after that way. Paul says very clearly, and we'll wrap this up, He says this, keenly follow godly examples, cautiously avoid worldly examples, but then he leads us now to the priority of the entire discussion. I love this. I almost held off to share this next week, but I couldn't. Because this is the passage. Don't follow bad examples. Follow good examples. And then there is a big conjunction here. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, brothers and sisters. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform our lowly bodies to be like the glor- uh, His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. What is He saying? Very simply, ultimately focus on the Savior. Okay, set right templates in your life of people that follow Jesus. Avoid those templates that are going to derail your spiritual life. But in all of that, I love this. 
Don't ever forget, don't ever take your eyes off of Jesus. Hebrews says this. Remember, we talked about this with the race a couple weeks ago. In this race, looking unto Jesus, the author and completer of our faith. We don't take our eyes off of Jesus. Yes, we watch different ones in the body that are going to lead us to Jesus. But we also remember that Paul himself here is an imperfect fella. We set up templates in our lives. We set up examples in our lives of people that love Jesus. But I'm going to tell you, at best, we are still people. At best, we still make mistakes. We still fall hard sometimes. We don't base our decisions simply on people. People will let you down. Yes, set right examples, but realize they will let you down, but Jesus will never let you down. Paul says this in this passage, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In my mind, I think, I I like to put myself in the prison with Paul as he's writing this with Timothy. And in his mind, he's saying, hey, follow me. Don't follow them. And just a pause, and maybe a smile comes across his face. And he says this, but follow Jesus. We are citizens of a different country. He starts, starts out with that. But our citizenship is in heaven. Or, or, or in other words, for, and here's the positive reason for following Paul's example. For this, our citizenship. And when we think of citizenship, we want to think of two things. Identity and privileges. Identity is in heaven. This is very similar as we've already seen in Philippians 1.27. If you remember back to that study. That when we talk of citizenship, we're thinking about Roman citizens in Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony 800 miles away from Rome proper. They were a colony of people in Macedonia who held all the privileges and rights of a Roman citizen, but they lived 800 miles away from their homeland. And I I bet with a smile on his face, Paul is saying, hey, 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 you guys are citizens of a different country. You're citizens of a heavenly country. When you follow right examples, when you avoid wrong examples, remember that you are citizens of heaven. Jesus is there. He says, from which we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to actually, if if you could almost circle that word and, and from. And you could almost say it like this with the emphasis of indeed. Indeed, our Savior's there. We wait for him. The terminology he uses, he says, indeed we await, we eagerly and we earnestly look for. Um, Every morning, it's funny because we have a couple goofball horses at our house out in the pasture. And they know when I come out the back door in the morning and they start yelling at me, get over here and feed us. They watch when I take the kids to school, and they know when I come back to pick up the other kids, take them to school, that there's going to be a little break of about 10 minutes, and they start yelling at me. They're watching me eagerly. They can't wait till I come feed them. I mean, that's a ridiculous illustration. What am I going to tell you, brothers and sisters in Christ? How, how closely do we watch for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? He is returning. He is coming to redeem his own. How much does that thrill our hearts that we wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, His second coming? And I love the terminology Paul uses. A Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. A Savior is this. 
He is the deliverer. He is the rescuer. The Lord is the master and owner. He is Jesus. That means he is Jehovah. He is Yahweh in the flesh. And he is Christ. He is the anointed, promised one. And it's like Paul couldn't contain himself. As he's, waiting, as he's writing about waiting for the Savior, he just nails us with four titles of Jesus Christ. He's waiting for his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the practical question is for us today is this. Are we waiting for our Savior? When you get up in the morning, is it one of those things where you're like, you know what? Jesus could come. I could stand before Jesus today. I could see the beloved that redeemed my soul today. There are some dynamics here about Jesus, and I love this. He says this, and we'll just wrap this up quickly. By the way, I keep looking at the clock back there. It's a half hour ahead, so (laughs) I'll just pretend it's a half hour behind. How's that sound? This Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Think about that. Through the pains that we go through every day, through the travail of this life, through the cramps that you may take on that race that you're running, the sweat, the tears that you're going through, guess what's going to happen? We talked about this last time. We've entered the race by God's grace. We are, we are journeying on this race by God's grace. But this glorification is going to happen. We're going to see Jesus face to face as we endure. At the end, we will see our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is going to happen? Yes, because of justification and sanctification being grown in righteousness, we will now enter into glorification. He will transform our bodies to be like his glorious body. Brothers and sisters in Christ, take a minute and think about that. He's going to transform our bodies to be like his glorious body. I love how he describes this. How is this all going to happen? By the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. By the power that makes him supreme, preeminent, dominant over all things. It's like Paul is saying this. Beat that. Beat that. What examples have you set up in your life that makes everything subject to them? You're not going to find one other than Jesus Christ. Beat that. You cannot beat divine omnipotence. He will get the final word. Remember back what we read last chapter, Philippians chapter 2, verse 11? At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Paul is saying that power right there, that power of this Savior is the one that's going to transform your lives into eternity. One last statement that will lead us into our study next week is this. Therefore... My beloved, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, and here it is, stand firm in the Lord. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus. We get the picture of this soldier holding his ground with all he has. He's being being attacked on every side, and who is he looking for? He's looking at his master. 
he fights with all the strength given to him by his master as he watches his master, looking to Jesus. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, let us stand firm in the Lord. So we come to the end of this type of thing and this type of a passage, and we want to ask after every passage, okay, let's, let's kind of summarize this down to a, a, a proposition, a concept, a theme. I would say the theme would have to be something like this. As we rejoice, taken from verse 1 in context, as we rejoice, we must carefully consider our examples, our templates. Who do we set up in our lives as people we're going to follow? And, and I want to just say this. There's no age-specific thing here. I love what Paul says to Timothy, this young man in the faith. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.12, be an example of the believers. We can look at people that are older than us. We can look at people that are younger than us. We set examples no matter how old or young we are. There are examples that we set up in our lives. And the thought is this. Find someone as your example who's going to do this. Will strengthen your love for Jesus. Set up people in your life as examples that are going to guide you to the Savior. And your choices you make, no matter how young or how old you are, who are you watching who are, who's going to lead you to this Jesus every day? So what? Well, let's go home with some practical application. Here's a question I, I had to ask myself this week. Andrew, who enamors you? Would you make this personal and ask yourself this question? Who enamors me? Who are my templates? Who do I think are really, really cool? Jesus' people or the world's people? <laughs> the key question for every day is, have I set up examples in my life of those who are going to propel me to Jesus or distract me from Jesus? I think here's another question that we can ask ourselves. You have, we have to ask this question. Paul is sharing this, and I think this is a very appropriate question. Okay, what kind of an example am I being? <laughs> Realizing we're a body of Christ and there are always people watching us. Ask yourself this question. If someone were to describe you, how would they describe you? As a Jesus person? That person loves Jesus with all their heart. Or how would they know you? What is your reputation? What kind of a template are you setting for young ones in this church and old ones alike, older ones alike? Are you a template that leads people to Jesus, that propels people to the person and work of a perfect Savior? I think there's another question we need to ask ourselves, and this is the final question based on the theme of this passage is this. Who are my eyes fixed on? Yes, follow godly examples. Yes, avoid those who will lead you to destruction. But ultimately, gaze on Jesus Christ. A little earlier I shared the story of this country singer, uh, Kylie Race Harris. And, and the sadness that fills my heart of someone that says bad choices lead to good stories. But I wanted to close out with another story. This woman. I don't know if many here would recognize this name, Lilius Trotter. This is a young lady that was born in 1853 and raised in an affluent family in London, England. 
She was an amazing self-taught artist who was told by the leading art critic of her day, of the Victorian age, a guy named John Ruskins, that if she would devote herself to her art, quote, she would be the greatest living painter and do things that would be immortal. That's what he told her. At the age of 26, though, she was overcome with her need to give her life for what mattered most, for eternity. Ministering at the Young Woman's Christian Association, YWCA, she became consumed with helping young women find hope and recovery from lives of prostitution. Thinking of the kingdom of heaven, she continually put herself in harm's way on the streets. She canvassed the streets, looking for women to rescue. At the age of 34, she obeyed God's call further and went to missions, along with two other women. They moved to Algeria to minister to abused Muslim women. Although her health was failing her, converts were continually martyred, and the comforts of life in England were constantly on her mind. I could be at home. I could be all the conveniences of life. Although those things were constantly consuming her, she continued to press on for Jesus Christ. Through her writing and even paintings, it's cool how she used those for Christ, through her writing and paintings, she influenced thousands of believers to dedicate their lives to look to Jesus and live out the gospel amid the persuasions of this life. In one of her tracts, she stated this, Turn your soul's vision to Jesus and look and look at him and a strange dimness will come over all that is apart from him. This became the inspiration for a wonderful song composed by another lady and it goes like this. Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see? There's a light for I look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying his perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I don't know what you're going through today. But I know this. We must carefully choose examples who will propel us to turn our eyes upon Jesus.